Good morning. I had uh, my welcome to that of pastors and and that of Benji's. It's lovely to have you here and great to be worshipping with you. As I was singing those songs and listening to what was being said, I thought, now why didn't I start and want to preach on a Christmas message? You know, I've been so lost in, in the work and what in my work and what's been happening and the fact that I've got my head in Ecclesiastes. I didn't even think to preach a Christmas message. So here we are. We're in Ecclesiastes. You might like to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter nine. Now, not all of you have been with us as I've gone through it, and I looked back the other day, and I found out that I actually started this early last year. So, uh, with the amount of preaching and just uh, one at one at a time, so I know that you, a lot of you, weren't here even at the start. But as we've been reading Ecclesiastes, what we've been doing is being able to learn about something like it is to live as a philosopher. Solomon has been our guide through this book. And through this book, at the moment, we've looked at almost everything that life has to offer. And along with Solomon, we sometimes struggle to find the answer to life's questions. Now, I understand that many of us here have already learnt some of these lessons from our own experiences, just in life in general and just through the sufferings that you've gone through. And to that end, I, uh, as I just pause for a minute, I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, Mike is here with us this morning and Karen's not. Um, you might have heard that Karen lost her dad during the week and uh, that was pretty down and the up is that a, their son was married yesterday. You talk about the ups and downs of life. We all go through them and no more so than Mike and Karen. And that's what life is the ups and downs. And Solomon is looking at life in the reality of living under the sun. I've mentioned many times it's the the idea of life without God. Living here on this earth with no respect to who God is, not even understanding or bringing him up. And to that end, Solomon gave us what it's like to live under the sun, to live without God. Way back in chapter 1, that's how he started. Life without God, life under the sun on this earth, he started out in chapter 1, verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's the meaning of life without God. Another version says meaningless. It's meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's a great way to start a book, isn't it? But that's what it is. Life is, as we know it on this earth, is meaningless under the sun without God. And that's what this book is about. But the last time we were together... Solomon had started now to lead us down the path of asking the right questions. And last time he let us know that uh, even though we live on this earth, we are in the hands of God. And we learnt that last time we were together. Just as a recap, look, at, look back at chapter 9 verse 1. It says, For I have taken all this to my heart, 
everything that he's spoken about and explain it that righteous men, wise men and their deeds are in the hands of God. And then he continues that it's the same for all. And then he stated in verse 4, for whoever is joined with all the living, there is the hope. I stated last time that anyone sitting here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus Christ's death on the cross as your payment for your sin, if you've never accepted everything that Benji led us in from the time of Christ's birth to his death, burial and resurrection, if you've never accepted that for the payment of your sin, then the only hope you have for eternal life and to be able to spend eternity with God is that you're still breathing. That's the only hope you have here this morning. If you have not accepted Christ, praise God, you're still, you're still breathing. There's still time, in other words. And so, what's the most important question all of us, for all of us as we sit here this morning? And in light of what Solomon has said and what he's going to say, to me the most important question is, will I die as a Christian? That's your most important question. You see, if we've learnt any wisdom from Ecclesiastes, it's that we should be getting to, uh, ready to die right now. I know that sounds a bit morbid at times, but you and I should be getting ready to die. How do we do that? by asking Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and then trusting him to raise your dead body to eternal life. And then when we do come to the last day of, or the last of our days, we will be ready to die in the full confidence of Christ, won't we? Amen? Amen. So for non-Christians, you're sitting here this morning and you've heard the word, you've heard it through your parents or whoever, and you've never gone that step to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you must ask the question that the people did in Acts 2. You must ask the question that Philippian jailer said, asked in verse 16. You must ask the question that most of us here have already asked, what must I do to be saved? And you will hear the answer, you must repent. You must accept Jesus Christ. Death on the cross is a payment for your sin. But this morning, I'm going to leave those who are non-Christian. I think um, Solomon leaves those who have living under the sun and he comes to the point where he gives some instruction for those who don't live under the sun, who accept God as who he is. Bringing it into our world or our time, those of us who are truly born again believers, this morning Solomon has instructions for you and I. Look at chapter 9 verse 7. He says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already approved your works. Now, there are several times that we have come across passages in the book of Ecclesiastes amongst all the, the hardness of life, amongst all the perplexing questions, several times he has told us to do this. It's a, a strange and surprising perspective for Solomon to take. 
After all, as I said, the opening words to Ecclesiastes is meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. He's been telling us about the troubles of life, how our existence under the sun without God is vanity, striving after the wind. Yet Solomon has already, in previous chapters, told us to enjoy life. Look back at chapter 2. I want you to turn there with me so you can see what Solomon has been doing all the way through. Sometimes we forget. We forget with all the struggles that Solomon has taken us through, all the philosophical teaching. Look at chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labour is good. This also I have seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? That's so true, isn't it? In the middle of chapter 3, look there, he spoke joyfully about doing good as long as we live. Chapter 3, verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labour. It is a gift from God. In chapter 5, Solomon explained how good and fitting it is for us to enjoy our work. Verse 18 of chapter 5, Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink and enjoy oneself in all one's labours in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him for this is his reward. Then in chapter 8, he went beyond that and commanded, commanded pleasure as a lifestyle, enjoyment. Verse 15 of chapter 8. So I commended pleasure or enjoyment, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and be merry, and this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. Now these passages can pose a major problem and challenge as we interpret the book of Ecclesiastes because it seems to contradict what Solomon says about the frustration of life under the sun. But the reality is that Solomon saw life in its full complexity. Remember he was the wisest man. God had given him wisdom beyond everyone else. And so he was writing a journal and he saw life in its full complexity and he wants us to see life in its full complexity as well. For all our difficulty, for all our trials, there are many, many things that we're able to enjoy. Life is bitter and sweet. And if we fail to perceive that life is both those tastes, that is both bitter and sweet, we fail to experience life as it actually is. And we go living in a bubble somewhere. Solomon is telling us there are good times and the bad. And he comes to verse 7, he says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. According to Martin Luther, the Solomon of Ecclesiastes, and he wrote this, is not urging a life of pleasure and luxury, characteristic of those who do not sense this vanity, for that would be putting oil on fire. But he is speaking of godly men who sense the vexation and troubles of the world. It is their downcast hearts that he wants to encourage. See, verse 7 and all those other ones is an encouragement. 
It's an encouragement in this life with all its ups and downs from God. To be able to enjoy drink and food and we'll see today our wives and our toil and even our clothes. Did you notice that each of those enjoyment passages that I call them in the book of Ecclesiastes had one person at the centre of them? They all mention God. Why should we enjoy eating and drinking and working? Well, chapter 2, it's because the activities come from the hand of God. And you read that. In chapter 3, we enjoy drinking and eating and working because these activities are a gift from God. Same is true in chapter 5, which also says that God keeps us occupied with joy in our hearts in verse 20 of chapter 5. Solomon may be frustrated with life in this fallen world, but he acknowledges the gifts that come from the hand of God and he says, enjoy them. Now, all that has been an introduction to chapter 9, verse 7 to 10, because here we see, I believe, the most clear idea of this. Solomon tells us to enjoy bread and wine because God has already approved us to do that. Now, understand here that that statement, God has already approved what you do, is not a blanket endorsement of everything you do, as if God would ever approve of wickedness. Nor is it a full statement of the doctrine of justification that we're accepted by the righteousness of God no matter what we do. Primarily, Solomon is saying that in our eating, in our drinking, we can enjoy the blessings of God. You see, contrary to some Christians' beliefs, life's enjoyments are not guilty pleasures. They're godly pleasures, or at least they should be. They ought to be. A merry heart has God's approval. It's part of the gracious will of His gracious will for our lives. And so Solomon gives us some pleasures that we are to enjoy. He gave four in verses 7 to 10. Just the simple pleasures that God has given his people to enjoy. And it began with the basic pleasure of eating and drinking that we've already seen in verse 7. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart. The word go conveys a sense of urgency. You need to do this. In fact, the the statement isn't descriptive. It's not sharing what he sees, it's actually an order, it's an imperative. You are hereby, we are all hereby commanded to eat our bread and drink our wine with joyful hearts. (coughs) Unfortunately, some people take it too far and live for food and drink. Philippians 3.19 says, they make a god out of their belly. They make a god out of their appetite. They're guilty of gluttony, which has little or nothing to do with how much people weigh, but everything to do with our attitude toward food. But God, God or Solomon, God says through Solomon, go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. 
God does not approve of making your appetite your God. Solomon is telling us to make every meal a pleasure. You see, Solomon's not talking about the eating and drinking. That's not the subject of this sentence. The subject is having a heartfelt joy while you're eating and drinking. As we break fresh bread, as we sip fine wine, as we taste all the other good food and drink that God provides, we're charged to receive each pleasure with God-centred joy in our hearts. Isn't that the reason you give thanks for a meal? Why do you give thanks for a meal as you prepare to eat it? Our food has come from the hand of God and it's come for our enjoyment, according to Solomon. So when we eat, we do so with happiness. We do so with a joyful heart because God has already approved it. Enjoy the food, enjoy the drink. Drink happily, drink joyfully. But not only should we eat happy, we should dress happy, which is what he goes on to tell us now in verse 8. Let your clothes be white all the time. Does this mean you should be using Omo or a whirlpool? Guess whose mum's got a whirlpool? That's probably too old for all you people here. Not quite. It's not talking about the whiteness of using an Omo or a whirlpool. You see, white garments were dress-up clothes of the ancient Near East or the ancient um, Eastern people. You had a festive occasion, people came adorned with white robes. You can put this into contemporary context. Solomon is telling us to put in our finery, to dress well all the time. Sometimes it's sad to see some section of Christianity that makes themselves look dowdy because it's apparently more spiritual to look dowdy. They always look so unhappy. They really do. But Solomon is telling us to dress every day as if we're on a way to the celebration of life. Which, by the way, it should be. As we wake up each morning, the celebration of life, we put on our white our dress-up clothes, we feel good, and then it says to put on deodorant as well. Let not oil be lacking on your head. We need to smell happy. Eat happy, dress happy and smell happy. Now, obviously, it's not talking about putting cooking oil on your head or even using grease to grease back your hair, which I used to do as a youngster. The idea is to anoint your head with oil was to pour out something richly scented like a cologne. An important part of getting ready for the celebration, not just looking good but smelling good, especially in that hot climate, and especially for us in our hot climate. Solomon in that just one verse is telling us, make every occasion a special occasion, even if it's ordinary, even if it's routine. We're, we're happy and joyful to eat. We're happy and joyful in our clothes as we, as we get ready for a celebration. We feel good. We, we're cleansed. We, we are anointed with oil. But there's even more as those who believe and trust God. Solomon invites us, married men, to enjoy life with our wives. I love Ecclesiastes 9.9. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. 
which he has given to you under the sun, for this is your reward in life. Solomon knew nothing about living couples or trial marriages. Solomon saw a wife as a gift from God. And I truly love this verse because it adds great perspective to my own marriage. Enjoy life with the woman you love, for this is your reward in life. The joy I have in this life with Karen as my wife is my reward from God. Is that how you feel, husbands, with, about your wives? That this is, your wife is your reward from God. And he sees our marriages as a loving commitment that lasts a lifetime. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love. How long? Just for a couple of years? Until you get sick of it? No, all the days of your fleeting life. We don't have that long here on this earth. It is fleeting. James used to call it a a smoke that is there and then gets blown away. That's our life. Solomon calls it a fleeting life. James, in the book of James, says it's a, a, a a smoke that just gets blown away. And so our marriages are to be a loving commitment that lasts a lifetime. No matter how difficult life may be, and it is difficult, and we've seen that in, in Mike and Karen's life, even just this week, there is a great joy in the home of a man and a woman who love each other, who are faithful to the marriage vows. Now please allow me to give a word of practical exhortation to men here. Women, don't turn off. Just listen. Single men, listen. Married men, listen. We need to pay attention to exactly what Solomon is saying here. Every husband is called to enjoy his wife. This means spending time with them as friends. It means that during all the busy demands of life, we need to set aside time to do things together that, our, that you, you and your wife enjoys. It means prizing one another as lovers. It means getting away, just the two of you, to fuel the fires of romantic love. Enjoying your wife means valuing her as a person. Listen carefully to what she says. Just a couple of the many ways that husbands are called to enjoy their wives. (coughs) I wonder if you're saying right now, but my wife is so hard to enjoy at the moment. That would be very sad. It would be very sad to hear that. But if you're saying that in your heart, well, then at least you, the least that you should be doing is obeying God's command to love her. For husbands, this means loving your wives with the same costly, sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated when he died for our sins on the cross. And you see that in Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 30. In fact, it's hard to see how any man will enjoy his wife or how she can possibly enjoy him unless he's committed to loving his wife in a Christ-like way. My life as a husband has one purpose in that area and that is to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And that is sacrificially. It's agape love. It's that love that doesn't, doesn't need anything to return. 
It's that love that is sacrificial. In my counselling for couples that are being married, it's like I say to them, my life if, as you get married is ended. My life is now to my wife because I sacrificially give myself to her. I'm not going to go into the fact that as you do that, your wife will just love to submit to you. That's another sermon altogether. But that's how it works. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and your wife will submit to you in every way. Love and enjoyment go together. You only have to read Solomon's poems and the Song of Songs if you want to go home and read that. The Song of Songs and to see how Solomon sees sees love and enjoyment. I haven't got time to read that, but it's a wonderful book. And it's not... It is true. It's not a story in the sense that it's some kind of hairy fairy story. It is a love story in all its uh, loveliness. And so if you love one another, be intentional about enjoying one another. That's what Solomon is saying. And he says our earthly existence passes quite quickly in verse 9. Translators use the word fleeting. Husbands, we need to engage in joy and love while we still have the time. So the simple pleasures so far of eating and drinking, of having clothes and wearing the oil, husbands enjoying your wives. And the last one, that the simple pleasure that Solomon mentions is at the end of verse 9, enjoy your toil in which you have laboured under the sun. Now most men have probably turned off at this stage. Enjoying your toil. The phrase under the sun does not refer to the back-breaking labour in the heat of the day. I deny anyone to say they enjoyed working in the garden yesterday or anywhere else they worked. The phrase laboured under the sun here refers to the regular calling of our earthly existence, the work that God has prepared for us to do. Whatever God has called us to do here on this earth, we are to enjoy it. Now, whether we labour in law or science or education or construction or medicine or ministry or the arts, or if you like, put all those together for the high calling of a homemaker, we are to enjoy it. That's the calling. But how do we do this if we don't like our labour? How do we do this if we don't like our job? Well, we have to get to the point of believing by faith that God is the one that has given us that work. You see, we sometimes separate our worldviews. We sometimes put our work life into a worldview, a secular worldview. That's what I do during the week. And therefore, that's a secular worldview. I've got to do that. But when I'm here on Sunday, it's a spiritual worldview. But we need to understand there is only one worldview as a Christian. If you have a worldview that separates the secular from the spiritual, then you're wrong. God has to, you have to, God has to break through to, for you to realise by faith that your whole worldview, Christian worldview, includes your work. 
that God has you placed wherever you are as a part of your spiritual walk. And once you get to that point by faith, you understand and start enjoying it because God has given it to you. And my home group knows that it took me months to work through that. To understand that what I do is God's blessing for me. And once I got to that point, they stopped hearing prayer points about my work. And I was able to share rejoice points about how the Lord has taken those thoughts that I was having and changed them completely to to the point now where I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Because God has me there. Don't know for what reason, but it doesn't matter. It could only just be for one reason, and it might not have even come yet. Don't separate your work life from your spiritual life. As Solomon has said before, work is a gift from God that we should enjoy as long as we can. Even coming to the New Testament, Paul has told us that in the letter to the Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And if you separate your spiritual from your secular in that sentence, then you have got it wrong. God is preparing good works during the week as well as on Sunday. It's not just about ministry. It's not just about good works for helping people. This is good works. God has prepared beforehand that you are to walk in a certain way during the week as well as Sunday. If you don't enjoy your, enjoy your toil, then maybe you need to, to seek God. But also it may be not what God has planned. You have to understand that as well. Because Solomon goes on in verse 10 to reinforce what he says about this. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And so if I put verse 10 of of Solomon's writing into Ephesians 2.10, the point becomes not that we should work randomly or do whatever we please, but that in the course of God's providence, some things lie in the path of our duty things that are planned for us, things that are pleasing to God. And it's up to us to ask God to show us to make sure that we are on that path that God has beforehand planned that we should walk in them. We should only be doing what God has given us to do, not the things that he's put out of our reach, which we often reach for. In Charles Spurgeon's uh, sermon on this verse, He described a young man who dreamed of standing under a banyan tree and preaching eloquent sermons to the people in India. Spurgeon came back and said, My dear fellow, why don't you try the streets of London first and see whether you are eloquent here? It was a great point to understand. Don't reach out to things that God has not planned for you. Do the things that God has planned. It's also a great mission you ever want to go to the mission fields, if you're not doing it here, don't think you're just going to do it over there. Mission is a, is a heart attitude, not a holiday. Sorry, I threw that in there. It's one of, my, one of my thoughts. Each one of us should do whatever God has given us to do, 
not what he's given someone else to do. And then he tells us the way to do this work. He just doesn't say how to do it. He tells us we have to do it with all our might. Again, the New Testament, Paul picks up on this in Colossians 3.23. If you're having trouble at work, read Colossians 3.23, which we'll read now. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. It's a great verse for us during our secular work, uh, the work we have to do during the week, the work that is part of our worldview as a Christian. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And here's the reason why. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And that's why our work during the week that we are to toil at and to enjoy is a part of our spiritual worldview, our Christian worldview, because we're not working for the person you're working for. You're working for the Lord and you will receive your reward and your inheritance from the Lord because it is the Lord whom you're serving. And and the enjoyment will come (coughs) in your toil. The enjoyment will be there because you'll have a different perspective. You'll stop thinking you're working for the man and realise who you are working for. And then you can go back to Solomon and you can understand how he says you are to enjoy, enjoy the toil, enjoy the work. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. As we have opportunity, we should walk, work with all our strength. It's so easy to while away the hours not focusing on the things that God wants us to do in our Christian worldview. But just as a side journey, don't be one of those people who live for your work. There are people who live for their work when in fact they're living for the money and and what work produces or they're living for the prestige or they're living for approval or they're just avoiding problems at home so they spend more time at work. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not working with all your might and all your strength, working 24 hours a day. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward and the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Are you giving 100% of your working time Are you giving him something less, maybe? You see, this is a a beautiful, bountiful world and we were designed to enjoy its pleasures. We can see what sin is doing to the world. We understand what sin is doing to the world, but it still doesn't make it any less of God's creation and the enjoyment that he gives us under the sun in this life. We know the enjoyment we're going to get when we go to glory. We we wait for that. But there's enjoyment here on this earth. He's given it to us. Solomon has said five times to enjoy, to enjoy eating, drinking, to enjoy dressing up, to enjoy looking good, to enjoy your wife, to enjoy working. It's all there, but it's all with God in mind. Because when we pursue things like food or clothing or work, and yes, even when we pursue loving our wives, 
apart from a relationship with God, we end up losing the joy that those things can bring. We have to have a relationship with God to enjoy those things that he's given us. Otherwise, we go back to chapter 1, verse 2, living under the sun without God, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. When we can, when we, we can get so distracted by earthly pleasures that we lose our passion for God and then we start worshipping the gift and forgetting who the giver is. From here to eternity, every simple pleasure we enjoy is a gift from our everlasting God. Every gift comes down from God above. In finishing, and as per usual as a philosopher, Solomon ends verse 10 by once again reminding us that our days are numbered. I think this is Solomon's stimulus for working with all our might because he says, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. He ended three wonderful verses with bringing us thump down to earth again. In other words, the grave kills earthly work. Now, I want you to understand here, and it's a whole sermon on its own, but the word Sheol is not a synonym for hell. I want you to understand, Sheol is simply an Old Testament reference to the place of the dead, whether good or evil. Consequently, in verse 10, Solomon is not trying to answer our questions about what does or doesn't happen after we die. To answer those questions, we need to to, to turn to other places in the Scripture like Revelation and the New Testament. What Solomon is simply saying is that we're all going to die, Christian and non-Christian alike. Other parts of Scripture tell us that Christians go to an eternal pleasure with God. We looked at that last time. Non-Christians go to an eternal torment in the lake of fire. And whichever place you're going to end up in, Solomon says it'll be the end of your work on earth. The end of everything we know about what's happening in the world. The end of all earthly pleasures. Solomon is saying life is short, it's fleeting. But as a Christian, as we go through our life, every honest day's work brings us one closer to that eternal rest. Every good meal is a reminder that we've been invited to the last and the best of all banquets at the Lord's Supper of the Lamb. Every God-centred party that you go to anticipates the heavenly celebration that you're going to enjoy with your forever family and it'll never end. One day we're all going to enter eternity. Some to eternal torment, others to the full joy of the celebration of life with God. Just to sum up, I'd like to read and for you to turn to Psalm 16. Now David wrote this psalm, Solomon's dad, and I was wondering if as I read this psalm and compared it to Solomon's writings, how that Solomon must have looked at his father's writings because this is so close to what we've just looked at. Solomon six, uh, sorry, Solomon six, Psalms 16, verse 1. 
Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counselled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the writings of Solomon, a man who has taken us through the calamities of what it is to live a life without you on this earth. We are so thankful that during the the times of his writings, Lord, that he is able to bring us to the, the mountain, to be able to climb to its peak and to be able to understand what it is to live on this earth with God. Father, we take these words, just the simple pleasures that you have given us to be able to eat and drink joyfully, to be able to be clothed and to uh, smell happily, to be able to love our wives joyfully, to be able to work, to be able to toil joyfully, not because of uh, the circumstances but because of our relationship with you. Help us, Lord, if we are lacking in any of those simple pleasures to sit down and wonder why, to see if our relationship with you is on par, that we are walking in the light as he is in the light. Lord, help us to search our lives and to understand if the simple pleasures we have that we are indeed joyfully having them. We thank you, Father, as we come into the to this side of the cross, that we have this relationship in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his birth that we are so uh, looking at at this moment. But like has been mentioned by many people in this room, Lord, we think and understand that he was born to die. He was born to die that we may live. He became poor so that we may became, become rich. And we thank you for that, for that knowledge. Help us to see our lives and our world as a Christian worldview, to understand the work that we do and everything we do 24 hours a day is to your glory. And help us to enjoy the simple things that you have given us while we remain on this earth, looking forward to the time in eternity where the simple pleasures will be turned into magnificent pleasures as we worship you 
each and every moment of eternity, enjoying our family, enjoying life. And so we thank you, Father, for that knowledge and we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.